definitely need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Dave Debo. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education. About segregation. About humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Tops market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. And good morning. This is Dave Debo. For the entire hour this morning, we're going to go in-depth on one particular topic. And frankly, it's a topic that you've probably heard before. But frankly, it's a topic that is so large that I think it involves or, or cries out, perhaps, for even more discussion. So today, we're with Dr. Tim Murphy. He's director of the UB Community Health Equity Research Institute. And those words basically describe today's topic, health equity, the disparities that exist among African Americans, especially on Buffalo's east side, when it comes to health. Uh, The UB Institute has been around for a couple of years looking at some of those issues, looking at some of the systemic issues that lead to poor health. The phrase you're probably going to hear a lot during this program that you've probably heard and a couple others is the whole concept of social determinants of health, the idea that anything from housing to education to economics really has a bearing on the health specifically of the African-American population, specifically in Buffalo, on Buffalo's east side. Dr. Murphy, thanks for being here. Pleased to be with you, Dave. How big of a problem is this? I mean, for the sake of the discussion, I said we've talked about it before. We'll probably talk about it again. But it's that large. It's a big deal. So let me tell you, a black person in Buffalo dies 12 years younger than a white person who lives in Buffalo. Same uh, same geographic location, and we have that big of a disparity in in health outcome and mortality. And then, uh, if you look at uh, the 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 different uh, uh, chronic disorders, black people in Buffalo have a three hundred percent higher rate of chronic disorders, including heart disease, stroke diabetes, cancer. In other words, the common diseases are far more common and affect the quality of life and the length of life of black people in Buffalo. Premature death before the age of 75 for black people in Erie County is at 60 percent compared to 36 percent for white. Uh, Some of the other uh, areas you talked of, heart mortality per 100,000, 208 heart deaths per 100,000 people out of the black population, 173 out of the white population. Clearly a disparity there. You mentioned diabetes. Out of 10,000 people, diagnosis of uh, diabetes requiring hospitalization, 44 of those 100,000 are black. Only 19% are white. So the disparity is huge in a lot of different areas. Is there something we can point to a single something we can point to to say this is why? Well, these are race 
based health inequities. So I guess if there's one thing, it's it's racism. Uh, and it's racism that impacts what you referred to in the beginning of these social determinants of health. So interestingly, we might think that, oh, if we could we could provide better health care, that's going to solve those problems. Well, if you if we could solve all the health care access problem on the east side of Buffalo, that would change those outcomes about 10 or 15 percent, uh, literally. Uh, the other things that account for these uh, health inequities and these health disparities are, again, what's called the social determinants of health. So it is poverty. It's substandard housing. It's food insecurity. It's access to quality education. It's neighborhoods. It's access to healthy foods. All of these things, each one of them contributes to those tremendous health disparities that exist in our black population. So it's not really any one condition. Um, If I have diabetes, it's because I have a sugar problem. Um, If I have heart disease, it's probably because of, I don't know, something genetic or my diet. Um, As you look at all these disparities, it's not necessarily anything that can be pinned down to a specific medical condition. You're talking more broadly. Exactly. Exactly. Those are the underlying systemic problems. You mentioned diabetes. Let's think about a, a diabetic person who goes, sees, uh, sees his, his physician, okay? And, and uh, the, the doctor says, okay, uh, your diabetes is a little bit out of control. You're a little bit overweight. Uh, you need to do a couple of things. One, you need to eat healthier food. Less sugar, control the sugar, uh, less processed food, more fresh, more fresh vegetables and more fresh food. And you need to get exercise. You should be walking each day, for example, or, or figure out a way to get exercise. And, and then sends, the, sends this uh, gentleman home and home into a neighborhood where there is no access to healthy food. Uh, think about the tops uh, on the east side of, of Buffalo. That top serves 70,000 people, one grocery store. So, so the chances of it always having fresh apples and fresh grapes is smaller than a place that's serving fewer people. Exactly. And also, healthy food, unfortunately, is more expensive than unhealthy food. Uh, and when you're trying to stretch your your income, uh, it's easier and, and, and it's more economical to buy, uh, to buy unhealthy food. Then the exercise. Okay. Have you looked at some of the, some of the sidewalks in the neighborhoods mm-hmm. in the east sides? They are unwalkable. Uh, it would be dangerous for an elderly person to be, you know, to go out walking, uh, with, with the uneven, uh, with, with the uneven sidewalks and so forth. So, so when you think about there's the diabetes, there are the solutions to the diabetes. And then what are the barriers to the solutions? They're not medicine or, or anything. They're, they're really, the neighborhood and the living conditions. Another factor that I think of with exercise, yes, the sidewalks. Um, your colleague, Henry Lewis Taylor, at the UB Urban Institute, uh, did that remarkable study, The Harder We Run, and found even parks and green space is lacking on the east side. Exactly, exactly. And think about it. When you walk around, there there aren't very many playgrounds. There is no green space. It's and, and all of these have a direct impact on health. These are the things that are accounting for the tremendous race-based health disparities that we have in Buffalo. And to me, that's the interesting part, because I would have expected you as a clinician to say, oh, there is a certain 
risk factor here or something something clinical, something mm-hmm. medical. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about these social determinants, you're talking much more broadly about the things that go on in the community. You know, it's interesting that you say that. And, and you know, I, I, I was trained as a physician uh, decades ago. And and if you had asked me decades ago when I was a medical student, you know, what's what's causing that? I said, well, it's access to health care. We've got to make sure and sure. get these folks health care. You know, the, 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 the bad news is I didn't know back then. The better news is that if you look at the way we are training our health care providers now, boy, medical students are learning different things than I learned, and medical students have a whole different approach to this. It's very encouraging to me, actually. Uh, and I think this is the kinds of things that will contribute to, to to changing some of these systemic barriers that we have. So these days they're being taught that things like housing is a public health issue. Exactly. There's a course in the medical school called uh, Health in the Neighborhood. Actually, uh, Dr. Henry Taylor and Dr. Uh, Pastor Kaiser-Pointer are two teachers. I believe you've had both of them Mm -hmm. on uh, your show. And they walk through the neighborhood with the medical students. Uh, For example, they'll give them a budget, uh, you know, a virtual budget, and say, okay, you need to uh, feed a family of four on the income that represents minimum wage. What are you going to buy for the week? Uh, you know, it's these kinds of things to help these doctors in training uh, to understand uh, the bigger picture about providing health care to people who need health care. In the school system, sometimes there's a debate over the role of schools and how much teachers should be doing. I think of a corollary here. Is it a doctor's job to solve housing? Well, it's a doctor's job to be aware of the impact of housing on health and and also to adjust how we manage our patients in that context. And quite frankly, as humans and as compassionate healthcare providers, yes, it is our job okay. to figure it out. You know whether that's contributing to some other effort that's going on to be aware to our, to impact how we vote for elected leaders. You know these are the kinds of things that we as healthcare providers and we as fellow citizens need to be aware of. That's how we're going to make these changes. I don't want to um, push you into a direction you're not willing to go. But close the loop for me here. Play the race card if you can. Mm -hmm. Um, The things you have described could theoretically be something that happens in any poor community. Why do we say that this is specifically an African-American thing? And I guess more specifically in the segregated east side of Buffalo. Well, let's look at how the east side of Buffalo ended up segregated. Uh, it was redlining, uh, uh, you know, and, and that's happened in communities all over the country. So this is not an accident, the fact that black people have these tremendous health disparities. This is this is built into our system. You know, if, 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 if you t- put all the black people in one neighborhood or one area, and then banks agree we are not going to give loans uh, uh, for these, and, and banks agree that the property values of those of those areas will be devalued, I mean, that's in our system. And, and, and in a way, it's not that people think that, oh, you're blaming me. You know, I think I think there now currently there are 
there are folks who who do not behave in a racist way, but but still our systems are, have created these these inequities. These are not accidents. This is part of what's happened uh, in in the way that our system has been made. As a doctor, or as even uh, I'll, I'll use the title again. You're the head of the UB Community Health Equity Research Institute. What can you do to change that systemic stuff? Uh, again, I, I sort of think of the role of a doctor as treat the people. Uh, on, on the program uh, last week or the week before, we had Diane Holt from Durham AME Zion Church. And she said, you know, you, you got to attack the system, but at the same time, treat the people. The analogy she used is uh, you walk down the beach, you see a, a starfish that's out of the water. You throw them back in the water. And I said, but that's a lot of starfish. And she said, so you keep on throwing. Um, at what, how, how do you distinguish between your work attacking the systemic stuff yep. and then just treating people, throwing another starfish back into the water to save that starfish? Well, as a, as a health care provider, you, you got to do that. You, you, you need to provide the best possible care that you can provide. And then you ask me as uh, director of the Community Health Equity Research Institute, you know, what, what can I do? And this is where, you know, again, my growth as in my understanding of this from when I was trained as a health care provider, as a medical student to now, what we need to do, <clears throat> and particularly what, what, what I want to do with this institute is leverage the talent and the resources of our university, of the University of Buffalo. We have 12 schools in the University of Buffalo. we got to think beyond providing health care. So we need to engage the, the talent and the expertise of people, for example, in the school of law for the inequities in the criminal justice system, in the graduate school of education for the inequities in education and educational opportunity, for in the school of architecture and planning for the neighborhoods and for urban planning and so forth, uh, and in, in the school of social work and the school of engineering, for example, for some of the uh, some, some of the we, we may be able to come up with technologies that will begin to help us with these built we environments. Need- Exactly. Yeah. We're dealing with the environments. Exactly. So we need to, again, what, what what I think we need to do in the Community Health Equity Research Institute is engage faculty in all these other disciplines. And I'll tell you that uh, there are lots of talented faculty members doing outstanding research, and they may not quite know or not quite quite understand that their work is related to health disparities and and if they just a little bit change their thinking or 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 begin to think about how they can uh bring their expertise to this problem that's how we're going to move the needle i think in in, in terms of changing the systemic issues and with that in mind you folks have a conference coming up this weekend igniting hope to sort of look at it in in a bit more of a structural way to look at some of the bigger Picture issues. Talk about that. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, this is uh, the fifth annual Igniting Hope conference that we've had. It's become the premier conference on health disparities uh, in the region. We we have attracted about three hundred people each of the first four years. About half our faculty at, at, at the university and trainees, students in all different schools, and about half our community members and community leaders. And the theme of our conference this year, in fact, is is. Uh, 
uh, informed, if you will, uh, following the racist massacre at Tops on May 14th. And it's called Igniting Hope, Advocating in a New Reality, Breaking Barriers, Maintaining Resilience, and Reconstructing a Community of Care. And this conference focuses on those social determinants of health that I, that I, that, that I talked about and that, and that you talked about, Dave. Uh, You've divided it up kind of into at least three buckets with a speaker on each. What are what are your chunks of that curriculum? Exactly. Uh, so we have, and, and again, I'll, I'll say that these are national experts, all three of them. One is Dr. Ruth Shim, who's a psychiatrist by training, and she's from University of California, Davis. And her area is uh, mental health equity, achieving mental health equity. We know that following the pandemic, and we're still tr- trying to deal with the pandemic, and then following the the tops shooting, uh, the 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 mental health needs of our communities are even more than at baseline, and this is a big issue: the equity in mental health. I want to go into that a little bit more before yep. we continue to talk about the conference, um, and certainly in light of COVID, certainly, absolutely, in light of the top shooting. Um, does mental health, I ask somewhat rhetorically for the sake of the discussion, uh, does mental health contribute to the overall health issues that we've been discussing before? Anything from heart to diabetes to death rates to uh, low birth weight babies, all of that stuff. Connect the dots between that sort of physical health and the mental issues if you can. Yes, uh, a good question. It is directly related. Think about stress. And when people live under chronic stress, we know that that has a major impact on physical health. And when we talk about our our under-resourced community on the east side, uh, even before the pandemic and before the top shooting, uh, the the there is very limited access to mental health care uh, in communities of color, and so uh, not only are we dealing with that as a baseline, then that's exacerbated or worsened by the pandemic and worsened by the shooting. And it's clear that that people who live, for example, in substandard housing, that creates chronic stress. And that contributes to those health outcomes that we talked about, heart disease and obesity and diabetes and so forth. All of it is related. And so dealing with the mental health inequities is clearly going to help in the overall health disparities. Is that an area where lack of providers is a greater issue? Is a huge issue. We have a, 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 a dramatic lack of providers. Compared to, say, other areas? Yes. Okay. We do. We do. That's one of the things we're trying to do in the Jacobs School of Medicine and Biomedical Sciences is, uh, is train our students and our residents and in, in a way and encourage them to stay and practice in our community. There are now some scholarships that the school offers for students who will, uh, who will agree to practice here after their training. Uh, in fact, that's a, that's a requirement of, the, uh, of, of getting the scholarship. That's what we need to do as a community. We need to, as a, as a, and, as, and as, a, uh, as a university, is, is solve that problem that you, that you just described, which is a tremendous lack of providers in many phases of healthcare, but 
particularly in mental health care. All right. So, Dr. Shim, at the uh, conference this weekend is discussing mental health. That's one component. I didn't want to go off on too much of a tangent. What are the other two? So our our second speaker uh, actually is uh, a Reverend Dr. Heber Brown, and he's uh, executive director of the Black Church Food Security Network. He's based in Baltimore, Maryland. That that food security network is a a national uh, program, and and. So, so this is a major uh, social determinant of health, and that is food security. There are people who living on our east side who don't know where they're going to get their next meal from, uh, literally. And and so after the top shooting, and then when when tops was closed, I think it was encouraging the way our community, the broad community, even beyond Buffalo and so forth contributed and donated and helped with the immediate problem. That's good, but that That's doesn't not solve... long-term enough for you right exactly, now. Exactly, exactly. Okay. This is a chronic food security issue, and and we need to solve these issues. And this, uh, for example, the, 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 the kinds of uh, solutions that Dr. Brown, through the Black Church uh, Food Security Network, is proposing represents that. So he grew, it, 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 well, I'll learn more about it when I hear him talk, which yeah. I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's creating uh, farms, if you will, in, in the city uh, and greenhouses and so forth and producing the food in the communities that need them and 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 building access, if you will, to healthy food that's not going to go away if we lose one grocery store. To, to be fair, Buffalo is starting to do some of those things. Ellison Dahani has Buffalo go, Grow Green. Uh, we've talked on this program several times with Alexander Wright of the African Heritage Food Co-op. Bit by bit on that issue, perhaps, would you say there's progress? Yes, and those things are important and encouraging, and, and, and that's how we need to do it is is work on each of these problems. And, and, and I agree that those things are going to begin to, to move the needle for us. In just a moment, we'll take a quick break, but I wanted you to hit the last speaker as well. Uh, yes. The, 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 the third concept that's being addressed this weekend is? Is actually, it is uh, racism in public policy. And interestingly, you recently had Dr. Henry Lewis Taylor uh, on the show. This is Dr. Taylor's daughter, uh, Kianga Taylor, uh, who is professor of African-American studies uh, at Northwestern University and a MacArthur Genius Fellow. These are very prestigious uh, uh, awards, uh, and she is an author and, and nationally known in the area. And she's going to talk about her title of her talk is, is Where Do We Go From Here? Racism in the U.S. Since the Summer of 2020. Uh, and and she she will talk about uh, 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 racism in policies and how that impacts uh, health and health disparities. All right. When we come back, we'll to look at health care delivery. Dr. Tim Murphy is here. Murphy is here. He's director of the UB Community Health Equity Research Institute. We're talking about health disparities and particularly how they're driven by racism, particularly on Buffalo's east side. More to come after this. It's Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. Watch the WNED PBS original production, Frederick Law Olmsted, Designing America. What his parks are all about is finding immensely practical solutions to the problem of building a dream in the middle of a city. Frederick Law Olmsted, Designing America, now streaming on YouTube and the PBS video app. 
Support for WBFO, your NPR station, comes from our members and from WNY Medical, featuring primary care, endocrinology, dermatology, psychiatry, and more. WNY Medical has 12 offices to serve patients and a pledge to support the health, wellness, and healing of all patients. WNY Medical also has details about new methods to work with cholesterol. Information and events at WNYMedical.com. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And this is Dave Debo. For the entire hour today, we're talking with Dr. Tim Murphy. He is director of the University of Buffalo's Community Health Equity Research Institute. He's also a senior associate dean there for clinical and translational translational research. We'll ask you what that is in a second at UB. Uh, Dr. Murphy has been talking, as, as if you've just joined us, a lot about the social determinants of health. Coming up this weekend, UB is hosting a national conference on that topic. We'll give you more information about that as the program unfolds. So if you didn't catch it, well, of course, you could listen to the rebroadcast tonight or on demand at WBFO. But grab your paper and pencil now and get ready to scribble down some important information. We'll have that at the back end of the program. I want to talk a little bit, Dr. Murphy, about health care delivery. To me, it's very eye-opening, I think, that uh, this discussion isn't just about health issues, that this discussion isn't just about that. But that is a component, no? Health care delivery. Clearly, it's a component uh, of, of, uh, of, of this health disparities problem. So uh, let me give you an example. Uh, uh, so we at the University at Buffalo are getting are very close to opening what we're going to call a COVID recovery center. So as you, uh, as every, well, as you may know, uh, up to about 25 or 30 percent of people who recover from COVID have what's called long COVID. These are the prolonged symptoms from COVID. Uh, and it is a potentially debilitating problem for some people, all the way down to being an annoying problem for other people that who can who can live with it. But it is a problem that is prevalent in our community. Uh, it's prevalent everywhere. And there we don't really have any place in Buffalo for people to go. Health, you know, primary health care providers uh, uh, aren't expert in that area. So I'm getting to your point about about health care delivery Access. on the east side of Buffalo. Pardon me? Access. Access, exactly. So when in our planning we uh, we uh, to, to to create this COVID recovery center, we know there's a lot of long COVID on the east side. I think a lot of people have symptoms, but they don't really know what it is. We got. Uh, uh, let me interrupt you there. Yeah. Do you have? Uh, and if you don't, it's okay because I know you didn't come with a, a stack of paper in front of yeah. you. Do you have data? How much more prevalent is? long-form COVID on the east side? So we know, uh, in fact, from national data that just like in the acute, in the acute COVID where uh, uh, people of color were disproportionately affected by mortality and by hospitalizations and so forth, we know nationally that that is also true for long COVID. We do not have any data on the east side. 
but we talk to the pastors and we talk mm. to the folks in the community and there is a lot of there are a lot of symptoms out there and and I have no doubt that that we're going to parallel it nationally with people of color are going to be more affected by this so we brought in a focus group we had pastors and some of the leaders uh in uh, uh black leaders in, in Buffalo and said how can we create a COVID recovery center that could be welcoming to East Side community members, okay? Our healthcare systems are not welcoming at all to black people. Think about it. You know, people walk in, every person in there is white, yeah. uh, the person behind the desk. Uh, uh, you know, that's not a welcoming environment. How can we, how can create a welcome environment? And over top of that, you layer a historic distrust of health care systems. Exactly. And uh, for good reason, because uh, we as as a healthcare system as have not provided uh, uh, excellent care to to black people. Let's just put it that way. Let's be blunt about it. So interesting. I learned, uh, you know, you maybe in retrospect, you should be able to predict these things. Very interesting one. And it was Pastor Nicholas who he had on. He said, if you're going to do this, don't call it a clinic. He said, uh, rich people go to the doctor and poor people go to the clinic. Oh, wow. So we're calling it a COVID recovery center, okay? It's a difference I wouldn't have thought of, but that's significant. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's brilliant. But, but yeah, trivial, but not trivial. But not, right. It's not. <laughs> Language is important. And then what we heard is there are going to be people showing up there who don't have primary care, who are not connected to primary care, who need other health care services, you got to have social workers there. So we are in our fundraising and are putting this thing together. That is going to be uh, when, when we hire nurse practitioners and social workers are going to be our first hire so that people will be able to uh, connect with social workers uh, 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 so that if they need things other than the specific thing related to their COVID, we can help them out with that. And then the last thing is, and this one is, you got to have some people of color in this place, you know. And and uh, again, it's it's hard, 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 as we know from the hospital systems, to to hire uh, providers and nurse practitioners and and so forth. But we can partner, for example, with the community health worker network, and we can ha- we can hire people from the community to be greeters, to be uh, welcomers, and that sort of thing, and create an environment so that so that people want to come. Uh, and and get their health care. So Dr. Kenyani Davis at the Community Health Center tells a great story. Uh, She's a woman of color, and um, she talks about how once she was treating an elderly woman, came up to her bedside, and the woman was in tears, and she thought, oh, no, what's wrong? There's something wrong here. And the woman was crying just because she had never seen and been treated before by a doctor that looked like her. Yeah. It's remarkable, isn't it? It's remarkable with our... With our healthcare system, and and but and and it's important for us to understand that we need to understand that. How much of it, though, is beyond just a, a culturally welcoming healthcare presence? Um, is there a sheer lack of numbers? Is there a lack of and and I'm going to use the word that that you earlier said we probably shouldn't. Is there a lack of clinics? Um, is there a lack of primary care providers? Quantify that to the degree you can. Yes, we clearly have uh, a uh, we we do not have enough uh, health care providers and we do not have enough primary care providers, particularly primary uh, care providers 
who are who are serving serving the east side uh and you know as you as you uh, illustrated uh, very nicely with your story about uh, Dr. Kenyani Davis we don't have enough providers of color uh, you know again the 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 school of medicine has invested uh, tremendously in that and and now uh, about thirty uh, percent of our of our students being admitted to this to the Jacobs School of Medicine are people of color. Now that'll have an impact ten years from now. You know, after they're trained and after they're practicing in the community. But again, when we talk about changing systemic, you know, uh, creating systemic change, that's how we do it. Is there something else involved in healthcare nationwide delivery systems nationwide? Um, why is there not a clinic or a primary care doctor on the east side, other than just the kind of availability you spoke of, that there might not be a volume of people of color going into the field? Is there something else going on? Is there something uh, intrinsic in the way the United States gives health care that doesn't necessarily serve lower income or black communities? Well, unfortunately, uh, what uh, something like eight percent of people in the country do not have health care, do not have health insurance. That's a huge problem, and 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 that is remarkably disproportionately affecting people of color. I mean, I think that's the underlying fundamental problem. We are different from other countries, where where everyone who's a citizen of, of a country has access to health care. We don't have that, and that creates tremendous disparities. I don't want to get into politics. Much. (laughs) But uh, talk about the national scene and Obamacare, which then was partially repealed. Where do we stand now in that kind of thing that you just spoke of, the idea that a lot of folks don't have insurance? Are more of them insured? Uh, Is there still a big change in policy that needs to be made? Talk about where we're at, again, in sort of the transition from Obamacare and some of the repeals done by President Trump. What has to happen now to reinsure more people, would you say? Well, you know, there are different opinions and different approaches uh, to that. But, but, but clearly we need to uh, uh, increase access uh, of health insurance uh, uh, to more people. You know, uh, I don't have the solutions to that problem, uh, but but uh, there are uh, folks who are working on that. It is a fundamental problem uh, with our system that there are uh, people who literally have do not have access to health care, and that needs to be solved. Is there any sort of incentive that the government – does the government play a role? Can uh, they? Certainly the government plays a role, you know, and, 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 they, and they can play a role, and they should play a role. I think it's the government's responsibility. A lot of the discussion about health care access does touch on the idea that there aren't a lot of primary care providers – and certainly, if someone's going to shepherd someone's health care, they've got to be that primary doctor. But I also saw recently, after uh, that fire that took the life of uh, a prominent pediatrician on the east side, there was a lot of discussion about how there aren't pediatricians. I'm guessing here or imagining that there might not be a lot of east side cardiologists. Um, much is made of the primary care doctor. Is there a dearth of specialists? There is a dearth of specialists in many specialties. Uh, yes, that, that was a tragic death of Dr. Jonathan Daniels, who was a friend of mine and a colleague of mine. And he was one of two black practicing pediatricians in the city of Buffalo. That's the, that, that, that outlines 
I mean, that, that just shines a light on the problem of lack of health care providers, particularly oh, of color. So if there isn't a, a pediatrician or a cardiologist on the east side, uh, let's just hop in the car, hop on a bus and go to the one that's further over there. <laughs> What's the problem with that? Well, obviously transportation and and, and then uh, health insurance are going to get rejected uh, in, in doing that. Uh, it's it, What happens is, unfortunately, is people go to urgent care centers and emergency rooms and, and then they're managed or not managed, you know the the, the, the yeah. you know the band aids are put on to these problems that are that are huge problems underlying, and and we need to we need to solve the primary care uh, healthcare delivery problem. And there too, uh, this is where I think the theme emerges more and more when we talk about this. There is a systemic component. It's not just it's not just medical treatment. It's not just the person who uh, goes to the ER because they have an emerging condition. Uh, it's not just the, the, the mother with the child who's not breathing properly. That's correct. Uh, and, and uh, in fact, it's not that the urgent care and emergency room is providing bad care. It's that they're not designed to, to manage the underlying problem that brought the acute problem to the emergency room. And, and, and that's where we need primary care providers. Uh, uh, and, and we need to create the access of of primary care providers to our underserved communities. Is it more than just recruitment? Is there a way to get more of these doctors operating on the east side? Do we need more doctors, I guess, in the country in general? I would imagine so, right? We do need more country, more, more doctors in, in the country in general, but we especially need more uh, doctors in communities like the east side of Buffalo. And that's where I had mentioned earlier where, you know, the Jacob School uh, is, is making an effort to educate our medical students and educate our residents, you know, the, the, the training that follows medical school, to uh, continue to practice in this area. In communities across the country, I think a lot of towns and cities like to say, oh, you don't know Buffalo, you don't know Cleveland, we're unique. Um, to what degree is Buffalo unique? The problems you're talking about have a, a national Connection, and I'm not saying. Yeah. Uh, I'm, again, I'm not doing politics. I'm not saying, oh, blame Congress, but I'm saying that the things that we're talking about here in Buffalo could be talked about in Dallas, could be talked about in Cleveland, could be talked about in a lot of other places. No, essentially, every city in the United States has uh, what, 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 uh, an underserved community, and, and you know, again, this is this was built into our system decades ago, unfortunately, that, 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 that these, these uh, health disparities that exist in people of color in Buffalo, it exists in, in essentially every major city in this country. Buffalo is unique in many ways. You know, we're special, and every city is unique in, in, in many ways. But that underlying uh, health disparity issue in, uh, in, in selected areas that, that, you know, geographic Racism is what it is, uh, is present in, in essentially all cities. What are some other cities doing that we can learn from? Are there innovative programs elsewhere that we could copy or at least examine? So there are. And, and you know, I certainly don't know all of them. But in part of my work with the Community Health Equity Research Institute, uh, and actually we had a speaker a couple of years ago from Cleveland uh, and their university hospital system there. And 
one of the things that they have done and that we need to do and we're beginning to do in Buffalo, but Cleveland has done it in a very effective way, and that is investing in black-owned businesses. So one example is they had a small – there was a small black-owned dry cleaners and laundry uh, facility, and and, uh, University Hospital uh, was looking for – to replace their laundry uh, service in the hospital. And in spite of the fact that this this business was a little too small to do it, they actually invested. It was the Cleveland Foundation and the hospital system and, and, and the university and so forth invested to allow that business to grow. And then and and actually it served the laundry needs for University Hospital. And then what happened is it continued to grow, and now it serves the laundry system for for multiple hospitals in Cleveland. And that was making that investment in in a in a in a business that arose from the community, and that's what we need to do in our communities: is build wealth. We need to invest in our communities. So it is a black-owned business that was expanded, not a corporate entity that's sending the profits off to someplace other than the east side of Cleveland. Or exactly. Corollary. That's exactly right, and that's what that's what we need to do in Buffalo. Uh, uh, we we need to invest in businesses so that the that so that the growth of wealth occurs on the east side of Buffalo. Perfect segue into our next segment. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit about what kind of things can be done. We're going to look, and we've been talking a lot medically, obviously, social determinants of health, but uh, that, I think, to my mind, brings in all sorts of stuff. Segregation, uh, underdevelopment of neighborhoods, rental housing versus home ownership, When we come back, we're going to do the broad take on some of those issues, kick around possible solutions. Dr. Timothy Murphy is here. He's director of the UB Community Health Equity Research Institute. And again, grab your paper and pencil toward the back end of the program. We'll talk a little bit more about this weekend's Igniting Hope Conference. So if you'd like to learn more about that, you can jot down the relevant details. They're coming up right after the break. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. Watch Remembering Crystal Beach Park. Crystal Beach was such an important part of the lives of anyone growing up in the western New York or southern Ontario area. Relive those childhood memories with the WNED PBS original production, Remembering Crystal Beach Park. Now streaming on YouTube and the PBS video app. Support for WBFO comes from Elderwood, helping seniors and their families navigate life's transitions. At Elderwood, we know the way. More at Elderwood.com. Get all the trusted local news you need right to your inbox each weekday morning with the WBFO daily email. Visit WBFO.org to sign up today. WBFO's Arts and Culture Desk is co-sponsored by the Theodore Roosevelt inaugural site. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And this is Dave Debo. We are talking for the balance of this hour with Dr. Tim Murphy. He is director of the UB Community Health Equity Research Institute. We're talking about all the health problems that spring from all the community problems 
that quite frankly, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, Dr. Murphy, that spring from racism on the east side. That's probably the best way to summarize the discussion thus far. Uh, am I stretching the point, would you say? No, I think you're right on. Uh, these are, these are uh, uh, race-based health inequities that we're talking about. Uh, it has surprised me during any discussion of this that it really does become less of a medical discussion and more of a societal discussion. There are a bunch of problems that need to be addressed that aren't necessarily medical in nature. So let's talk about public policy a little bit. Uh, I know that the Institute, while, yes, it's looking at health, uh, is also looking at ways to fix the problem. Before the break, you spoke of uh, some of the investment things that are being done in Cleveland. Let's talk a little bit about some of the things that can be done in and around Buffalo. And uh, and I do want to reserve some time at the back end of the program, too, just to talk about attitudes, about segregation, about uh, the way people treat other people. We'll get to that in a bit. But uh, one of the things that uh, has come up on this program time and time and time again is the segregation on the east side. Uh, many have obviously said that, that uh, the, the guy from Binghamton area that came up and did the shooting, allegedly, uh, did so because he knew he would find an immense population of black people. Segregation is certainly an issue. Make the corollary to health, segregation and health, and then let's talk about possible solutions. If if it's within your portfolio to, to look at segregation. Yes. So if, if we think about uh, uh, the condition of the east side, can I talk about the redlining and how those uh, the, 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 the houses were devalued? And then that's where, by our systems, black people live. And when you walk through those neighborhoods and look at the conditions of the neighborhood, uh, that is an unhealthy place to live. So, for example, uh, 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 many homes in Buffalo still have lead paint. Many homes in Buffalo still have lead pipes. That means our children in our community uh, are being exposed to uh, to lead. And, and this causes serious problems in terms of development and intellectual development and, 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 and lead toxicity. Uh, but is that a segregation thing? Is that a racial thing? That, so it's a racial thing in that it is the, the, the east side was created by racism. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, you know, the east side is predominantly uh, black. Uh, and and uh, again by design, uh, and, and uh, uh, other uh, the, the green space uh, that's in the area. So so if you think about the uh, the trees, if you look at a uh, at a view from up above of the east side of Buffalo, there are no trees. You know, and 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 that 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 green structure is important. They uh, uh, in, in terms of health uh, and in terms of. Uh, 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 the uh, exposure to toxins in the neighborhood, uh, it is an unhealthy place to live. And I mentioned about uh, the, the conditions of the sidewalks and so forth. Uh, the substandard housing is a huge issue. And, and that was going to be the one of the next ones on my list, but I, I do want to stay with segregation just yeah. for a moment. How do we combat it? Is it just a matter of, uh, forgive me for putting it so bluntly, um, more white folks from Orchard Park visiting the east side to eat the ribs at a restaurant that they've never been to, more interaction, more things that would uh, get rid of segregation. Am I oversimplifying? What else could be done? 
Well, what we need to do is invest in these neighborhoods, and we need to make sure that the money that is investing goes to the people uh, who live on the east side. We need to build some wealth on the east side of Buffalo, for, for example. I mean, Tops is great, and you know, I, I have to I have to uh, uh, compliment Tops, and that it's the only grocery store there. The profits are not going to the east side. You know, uh, their jobs that creates jobs for folks on the east side. But what we need is is uh, is ownership. is ownership. Yeah. Owned and operated by East Side residents is what has to happen. That connects really well with the next topic. I can remember right after the shooting, the uh, the shooting was on Saturday. There was a service on Sunday night, and one of the speakers at that service stood up there and started listing off all the problems that needed to be addressed. And they said in a, in a very loud and clear voice something to the effect of, forget affordable housing. Let's talk about home ownership. Yeah. Um, the idea that low-quality Rental housing is a huge issue. Sixty percent of Eastsiders are rentals. Ownership isn't there. Right. Can we do anything about that? So I think that that is uh, is a public policy issue. Uh, if you look at the condition of these houses that are being rented, you know uh, the profit uh, of uh, of of a uh, of an owner of a renter, a landlord, is you you get your rent, and then whatever you put into improving the property gets subtracted from the profit. So the less you do uh, in terms of the upkeep of a home, uh, the less profit you have. So, so uh, or the more profit you have, the less you do. So these homes, when you walk uh, around in the neighborhoods, are in terrible condition. That means our city needs to begin to enforce these codes, and we need to change the codes and change the policies about these how these codes are enforced in order to improve this substandard housing on the east side. Your colleague, Henry Lewis Taylor, at the UB Urban Institute, has come out with that report. I'm sure you've seen it. If, if folks haven't, by the way, you can find it on our website, wbfo.org. It's called The Harder We Run. It's about the problems facing black buffalo. One of the things that he's talked about in terms of neighborhoods is lack of outreach to the community. Black Eastsiders, he says, have no meaningful voice. I'm reading right from the report here. Have no meaningful voice in the development of their community, Moreover, the failure of local government to prioritize east side development and engage in the process is an issue. It's peep things are done to the east side uh, instead not of by the, exactly okay. not by the east side and that's what needs to change you know we need and and, and that's where uh, investment comes in uh, like the example I gave in Cleveland about you know investing in black businesses in the community and and then enabling and helping those black businesses grow we have in the uh, the Community Health Equity Research Institute has worked with the Buffalo Center for Health Equity and actually the Population Health Collaborative, which recently uh, merged with, with, with HealthyLink, on uh, uh, looking at or, or engaging the large business owners in Buffalo. And I'm talking about the CEOs of banks and the, and the big businesses uh, with the idea that making corporate decisions uh, based on 
health equity and racial equity is the smart thing to do. It's not just the right thing to do. It's not doing favors. It actually will improve your bottom line by having a better workforce, uh, by having a, a better community, a healthier community, so that there's less calling in sick time and so forth. And there are three things uh, that, that that we need to do, uh, uh, that, that businesses should be doing. One is change their hiring practices. In other words, look for the opportunities to hire people from our community and not just hire them, but then mentor them and train them. Uh, and number two uh, is procurement. When you buy your supplies and you buy the things that you need to run your business, look for businesses that are Buffalo-based businesses uh, so that the profit goes to our community and particularly to the east side. And the third is investment. You know, these these companies invest money. And, and what we need to do then is invest in businesses and invest in things in our community. And that's how we can we can raise the level of, of, of wealth on the east side of Buffalo. I thought I knew this topic, but I, I'm really surprised when I, when I realized the guest was going to be an MD. <laughs> I figured we'd be talking more medical stuff, and we're really not. Yeah. It, it's, it's a lot of public policy. It's a lot of um, racial attitudes. It's, it's a big topic, it's more, a- more than just treating the heart condition or the, the cough or the diabetes. Exactly. And and certainly we need to treat all those things and we need to provide outstanding health care. And that's what we're training our our next generation to do. But again, as, as I said, I think we also need to train our next generation to be aware of where that fits into the big picture of health equity and health disparities. But, you, you know, you... It's funny you say that because I, I find myself in these discussions. Here I am with CEOs of businesses talking about these. Things. What am, I'm an infectious disease doctor. You know what am I doing here? I, I don't belong here. But but you but know, you do. You say we all do. We yeah. all belong in those conversations. That's the point. I think that brings me to some of the education issues, some of the attitudinal, and that's a weird word. I, I apologize. But some of the some of the ways that we individuals behave. What can be done, basically, between interpersonal relationships and breaking down, getting rid of racism there? What's your thought? Well, I think, you know, the, 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 the terms used anti-racist. We all need to learn how to be anti-racist. And, and, and one of those is when you hear something that's racist, you don't just let it slip, you know. Not that you want to be getting into fights and so forth, but, you know, that needs to – we need to raise that – level of consciousness in in the things that we do. There's a lot of subtle racist terminology and racist uh, activity and actions that sometimes, I'll tell you, I... We're all on a continuous learning curve, I think, in this regard. And probably you and I more than others because we're white men. Exactly. That's exactly right. And and, and, and almost trained not to see it sometimes uh, when it's existing. And so it's creating an awareness. And and I think also how we raise our children. Uh, that's that's how we're going to, again, make those generational changes. We need, to, we need to change that. You've been looking at my notes. Education was the next one on the list. Uh, Dr. Ibram Kendi from Boston University has written that book, yes. How yes. to Be an Anti-Racist. We had him on the program about a week yeah. ago. And um, one of the phrases that comes to mind from, from his research is, passivity is complicity. Mm-hmm. The idea that, you're right, you see something, you say something. 
completely yeah. different context there, but but uh, that's basically the mantra, I think. Exactly, and and you know that, that you know I think many of us are raised, or we're, the, the the way we do it is, uh, let's not rock the boat, you know, let's just you know, let it slide and that type of thing, and and that's something that collectively I think as a society we need to do, you know, we 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 can't be passive. And that leads me to education. I don't want to stretch you too far out of your your portfolio. What what can change there? What should be done there? Any thoughts? Yeah, you know when when you when you think about uh, uh, the the role of education, uh, you know you know poverty. It's a, it's a potential solution to poverty. If we can if if we have better education, people get better jobs and they have higher income and then they buy better housing and 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 then they have there's less substandard housing and so forth. So education in some ways underlies a lot of these of these health disparities. I think if for an immediate thing, if we think about jobs and education, training on the job training is an effective way to help to try and hire uh, folks uh, so that instead of saying, oh, you don't have the right training, you need to go here for training and that type of thing, you know, companies can begin to hire and then train on the job. And that's a a, uh, a potential solution to some of the inequities that, that occur. Does education need to change even at a lower level? Um, again, a bit of a rhetorical question here, but is one month of black history in February enough? Uh, yeah, a good rhetorical question. Obviously not. And education needs to change. It needs to. Ch- we need to get make sure that everyone has access to education. Uh, I have a son. A number of years ago, worked at the at the King Center Charter School uh, as part of AmeriCorps. And uh, I said, oh, "How is that?" You know, he's working with little kids, and he read a book that day to a three year old who had never been read to. Uh, you know, a three-year-old, uh, and 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 these kids, you know, we we need to make sure that we help uh, and 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 get access, uh, educational access, to everyone. And lastly, uh, I said there'd be sort of a paper and pencil portion at the end of the program. If you'd like more information about the Ignite Hope Conference, uh, this is where you want to grab uh, something to write things down with. Talk again about the conference this weekend and how people could get more information, a little bit about the speakers, a little bit about the uh, the, the topics that are coming up. Yes. So it's a it's a, the conference goes from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. It's this Saturday, the 13th. It's in person at the at the Jacobs School of Medicine, right the first floor. You walk in, it'll be very welcoming atmosphere. It's also by Zoom. Pre-registration or just kind of walk free. in? Free okay. registration. Includes breakfast beforehand and lunch. Uh, as as uh, uh, once once you're there, we have you know you can access it remotely as well. We have these three speakers. We also have breakout groups that are terrific, and this is your opportunity to meet folks and to network as well. To to access it to register, uh, if you search Buffalo Center uh, 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 Buffalo Center for Health Equity, uh, that's the Community group, Buffalo Center for Health Equity. The registration pops up on the on the uh, homepage of that site. All right, Dr. Timothy Murphy. Any closing comments? Uh, I just want to thank you for having me, and I think that these conversations about health equity are in our community are so important that we should all be involved in it. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you, Dave. Glad to have you here, Dr. Tim Murphy, Director of the UB Community Health Equity Research Institute. 
We'll continue discussions like this. It's our promise to you here at WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown. This is Dave Debo. Thanks for listening. 